For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Trevor Rhino. I'm the student pastor here at the Cross Loganville. It's uh, an exciting morning this morning for me for, for a few reasons, I would say. Number one, it's always exciting, and I'm always thankful for the opportunity to, to be with you guys and to be able to share here in big church, as we say, up in the student center with the big people, the adults. That's you. Uh, Number two, it's an exciting morning because in second service, we're celebrating our uh, graduation Sunday. We have 12 seniors that we'll be honoring. And uh, I mean, for me, working with the student ministry, I mean, it really does bring me a lot of joy to to see these young men and young women come through uh, high school and come through our student program and just to see them get the gospel. I'm very proud of them and I'm very excited to see what God has in store for them going forward. And number three, I'm, I'm very excited this morning because my parents are in town all the way from northern Indiana. So, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Give it up. <laughs> we, uh, we've had a really fun weekend down here. We, we kayaked the Broad River. We hiked Stone Mountain, and we done eat a lot of food. So praise the Lord. I'm, uh, I'm good to go this morning. I think they would probably tell you after uh, a long, brutal Indiana winter that Loganville, Georgia never looks so good. Amen, somebody? So now we just got to pray collectively that they would finally come to their senses and move down south. Come on now, we're believing it. So uh, this morning we'll continue in the series Tim launched a few weeks ago called Coming Clean in our study through Psalm 51. Our topic of study this morning will be cleansing. The title of today's message I've taken right from the text is called Whiter Than Snow. So look at your neighbor and say, Whiter Than Snow. So uh, a few weeks ago, I read a passage from a book called Letters to Greco by a Greek author whose name I can't even pronounce, but the author tells the story of an old man lying on his deathbed. In these last few days of this man's life, he's overcome with guilt, shame, and remorse over the sinful life that he had lived for so many years and all the people that he had hurt along the way. This man, uh, during the last few years of his life had trusted Jesus, but at this point he wasn't really convinced that God could possibly accept him. As the story goes, the man dies, and there he stands naked, trembling before the Lord as his judgment awaits. Suddenly, Jesus Christ himself pulls out this big bowl of aromatic ointment. He dips a sponge into the ointment, He touches the man in an instant, washing him clean of all his filth and all his guilt. And then Jesus Christ himself, with great tenderness, looked the man in the eye and he said to him, don't bother me with that stuff anymore. Now come in and play. I don't know about you, but I amen that. That was was big for me. When, When I read that myself, it really hit me hard. And it got me asking myself the question over these last few weeks, does God really care about my past as much as I do? Think about that. Think about it. As those vivid memories of your past failures flash through your mind, flooding your heart with guilt and shame, do you really believe that God cares to relive your past as much as you do? It's crazy to me, but in the church, there's a shocking disconnect between the delight that God has for his children and the deep disgust many of us have for ourselves. 
I believe in my heart that one of the biggest challenges of the gospel is seeing ourselves the way God sees us. I mean, it's, it's easy to believe we're forgiven, to be honest, but it's a whole nother battle to acknowledge and accept that I am clean, that you are clean before God. So my goal, my heart, and my prayer for each one of you, including myself this morning, is not only that you would believe it, but that you would experience the ultimate reality of what it means to be called a child of God. For as his child, you are loved, accepted, forgiven. You are clean. You are pure. You are whiter than snow. First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if... We confess our sins. He's both faithful and just, not only to forgive us our sins, but also to cleanse, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, which tells me confession, as Tim laid out so beautifully last week, confession is not just an acknowledgement of our sin, but also an appeal for God's cleansing mercy. And this is God's promise that when you acknowledge your sinfulness and appeal on behalf of his forgiving grace, you will be clean, you will be pure, you will be whiter than snow. That's a promise. So uh, what I want to do this morning is basically just lay out a sort of three-part appeal for cleansing. I'm going to go... Right back into Psalm 51 and read from verses 5 to 10. Uh, the scripture and the notes are in your bulletin so you can follow along. But before we dive into the word, I want to lift it up. So, uh, Jesus, man, uh, we just come before you, many of us very humbled, myself very humbled, as we just consider how great you really are, how good you really are, and how small we really are. But the ultimate reality of the gospel that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his own love for us by sending his son Jesus to die on our behalf. You cry out on the cross, it is finished. But for many of us, we're not living in that reality. It's not finished. We're still performing, we're still trying, we're still striving. Ultimately, we cannot come to see ourselves as you see us. For some of us, we're pretending, we're playing the part, we're concealing, we're hiding and covering up. I pray that by your spirit, you would convict us deep within, that your light would pierce through the darkest places, the hidden places of our hearts, that you would illuminate and expose those places and that we would have to bring it all into the light this morning and that we would find healing, that we would find forgiveness, that we would find cleansing, that we would find restoration and renewal in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So Psalm 51, starting in uh, verse 5, I'm going to read a few verses. This is in your bulletin. David says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Verse 6, behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So here's the first part of this appeal. Number one, accept your depravity. 
Accept your depravity. Some of us are like, what, what does depravity even mean? It's a, it's a word we throw around in church, but depravity basically is a term that the Bible uses to describe our spiritual condition. The reality that sin has corrupted you and I at every level, and as a result, we are spiritually bankrupt in desperate need of rescue. But you see here in verse five, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin my mother conceived me. He, he's basically saying that from the very moment I was born, as Tim said last week, I was bent out of shape. I was bent towards sin. But you see, in accepting his depravity, David identifies the source. You too must identify the source. Do we have any parents in here this morning? A few of y'all. So um, I'm not a parent yet, praise the Lord. Um, but uh, I've learned, you know, some lessons and my limited experience in, in dealing with kids. And one thing I've observed is that you ever notice that you don't have to teach a kid to do what's wrong, but what's right? Think about it. Like my parents did not have to sit me down one day and say, Trevi, we're going to teach you a lesson this morning. Today we're going to teach you how to lie. <laughs> I don't know about you as a kid, but I just lied. I was a terrible liar and I always got caught, but I just lied. Or think about it. My parents, they didn't have to sit me down and say, Trevi, today we're going to teach you how to be selfish. Like, no, I was just selfish. Those were my toys and whether or not I was using them was irrelevant. They were mine. Y'all ever notice like nobody had to teach you the word mine. You just knew it like mine. So here's, here's the conclusion. We're all jacked up. Like David, from the very moment we were born, we were bent towards sin. But in verse five, David removes the mask. He goes straight to the source, confessing that I've been infected with this disease called sin since the very moment I was born. Understand this is not a statement of justification. It is a statement of ownership. David owns it. So my question to you, have you taken ownership of your own disease? Have you dealt with your own sin? Or are you still using the David of 2 Samuel 11 as a role model? Just like David did, man. It's a lot easier to, to run and to hide, to play and to pretend, to cover up and to conceal your own woundedness. It's a lot easier to minimize our sin and deflect the blame onto something or someone other than ourselves. I mean, let's face it, we do live in a fallen world. At some point, all of us, we have not been loved well. We've been rejected, we've been betrayed, even abandoned. Things have not gone our way. But one of the greatest lies you can believe is that your worst problem exists outside of you and not inside. Think about this. If only my parents would have loved me better. If only my dad would have been there for me more. If only my kids behaved better. If only my marriage was better. If only there wasn't so much temptation out there. For some of you, here's a word this morning. Stop playing the victim card. David teaches us in Psalm 51 that our greatest problem is not the result of a situation or a relationship gone bad. No, he shows us that our greatest problem in all of life 
is within us. Its name is sin and it must be dealt with. However, in deflecting the blame onto something or someone outside of ourselves, not only do you deny your own sinfulness, but you deprive yourself. You deprive yourself of God's healing grace. As Brennan Manning says, what is denied cannot be healed. And Jesus, he comes along in his Sermon on the Mount in his first beatitude and he lays it out when he says that blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice he does not say the, the self-reliant or the self-sufficient or those who appear to have it all together. No, he says blessed are those who basically have nothing in and of themselves. Those who acknowledge and accept their depravity, their brokenness, their utter helplessness. Here's what I want you to think about. When you embrace your depravity, just accept yourself as you are with your flaws and your failures, it can actually free you up. You can stop trying to perform. You can stop striving for perfection, whatever that is. You can stop trying to fix yourself in some futile effort to erase your past. You can actually stop wallowing in self-hatred, realizing that God has been very, very gracious to you, and it's time to become gracious towards yourself. So, accept your nothingness and surrender it. When you finally decide to come out of hiding and be known for who you really are, then and only then do you open up your life to the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. So number two, this uh, second part of our appeal this morning is this, ask for cleansing. Ask for cleansing. Anybody been keeping up with the NBA playoffs? Any uh, Hawks fans in the house? I don't know if you saw, but they closed out their series, I believe, on Friday night. And now who are they about to face? Anybody? The Cavaliers, who's on that team? LeBron James, even though he's old and he's starting to bald, he's still good, right? Straight up, he's taken the headband off. He's removed the mask for some of you basketball fans. But uh, how many of you believe the Hawks are gonna win it, by the way? A few of y'all, you got, you, got, you got faith. You got faith in this morning. How many of you don't care at all about the NBA playoffs? <laughs> There we go. We got a few honest Christians in the house today. But uh, reality is whether or not you're keeping up with the NBA playoffs, we are all master scorekeepers. What are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. As followers of Christ, somehow we manage to make our life one giant scoreboard that is ever against us. Think about that. Our continual scorekeeping reminds us that our shortcomings desperately outweigh our successes in life. <laughs> Look at David. Look at his case. Man, the scoreboard was not in his favor. Y'all know his track record. He committed adultery. He ordered murder. He lied. Second Samuel says he even despised the word of the Lord. Okay, so all of a sudden Bathsheba's raped, Uriah's dead, the baby will die, and along comes Nathan to reassure David that the Lord will put away your sins. It's like, what? That is absurd. The mathematics here do not make any sense whatsoever. And I'm like, come on now. That's grace. 
So in Psalm 51, David teaches us to stop keeping score. Don't wait until you think the scoreboard is in your favor. Don't wait until you've made some changes to come before God and appeal for his cleansing mercy in your life. For you see, David shows us that we come before God not on the basis of who we are and what we've done, but on the basis of who he is and what he's done. So we come before him like David in verse seven. This is his prayer for cleansing. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So the prayer, purge me with hyssop. He's literally praying, uproot every trace of sin within me. This word purge is a very strong word. It literally means descend me, unsend me, remove this life-threatening disease at its very source. Do we uh, have any iPhone users in the house? Anybody? All right, I remember uh, when I first got my iPhone, I was pretty pumped about it, but then I was let down right away because uh, I used it for work and my battery kept dying. You know, by usually like noon, when I was living and working in Miami, Florida, my phone would die on me and I couldn't use it for work. And I remember going to one of my buddies I worked with and he seemed like he actually understood the mystery of the iPhone. So uh, I asked him to look at my phone and see what was going on. In a few minutes, he analyzed the problem. He said, uh, dude, are you stupid? I'm like, I don't think so. And uh, <laughs> apparently, I didn't know this, but if you double tap this button down here, it brings up all your apps you've ever opened. <laughs> so he shows me this, and I'm just like, whoa. And all of a sudden, he starts scrolling through. He's like, yeah, all you got to do is scroll through and just delete it. I'm like, where did it go? So he, he, starts, he starts deleting, and I'm like, can I try? And he lets me do it, and I'm just like, wow. And in an instant, all of a sudden, my phone is like brand new. But what I didn't realize is that all these apps that I had ever opened in the whole history of having the iPhone, even though I didn't see them, they were literally draining my battery and killing my phone. So David says, purge my sin. He says, remove the problem that, is, that was eating away at our lives from the very source. For some of you, for, for years, maybe months, maybe weeks, you've been suppressing and storing away all this sin and all this shame, all this regret and all this self-hatred. And even though you might not see it at the surface, it is literally killing you. Your battery is drained this morning. You are tapped out. So like David, this must be your prayer. Purge me, literally descend me from the very root the source of sin and all the symptoms then suddenly are washed away. And in a moment, I can breathe. I have life again. How then, David? Well, David says, purge me with hyssop. Some of us are like, what in the world is hyssop? I don't know. It seems pretty insignificant, something that normally I would just read right over. But I actually stopped and I looked it up on Wikipedia. That didn't really help. It's like, oh, it's a... Uh, a plant that produces a white flower and has certain medicinal qualities. I'm like, whatever, let's, let's look into this a little more. And if you study it within its context and go to the Old Testament history, you find out that hyssop shows up as early as in Exodus during the original Passover. 
Check this out. God directed the Israelites to use a hyssop branch to dip it into the blood of the lamb and to use that to cover up the doorposts that God would pass over in the 10th and final plague. Okay? And then in Leviticus, once again, we see hyssop. The hyssop branch is used by the priests to sprinkle on top of a house where someone had had a disease to make it clean. And then in Psalm 51, David says, purge me with hyssop. So in this moment, David is looking back while reaching ahead. He's bowed humbly between the, not, or the already and the not yet. See, think, think about this now. Already, the blood of the Passover had saved Israel from death and delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. Already, the blood sacrifices of animals under the Mosaic law had continually covered the sins of God's people. However, David is crying out for cleansing towards the not yet. And it's in the Gospel of John where Jesus breathes his final breath where the connection is made. John 19, 28 says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. So it is finished. Some a thousand years before the cross, David uses this prophetic picture of hyssop looking forward to the moment where the not yet would become the it is finished. David understood good and well that the law of Moses could not do it. Each sacrifice served as just a temporary covering. However, he knew that the law was just a shadow of something greater to come. David's looking forward to Hebrews 10.10, where we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. David looks to the once and for all, where God will do for us what hyssop could never do, what we could never do for ourselves. Come on, somebody, if you believe it. So, so David, somehow, somehow in faith, he sees it. That in the not yet, his sins would be removed from him as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, 12. Somehow in faith, David sees that in the not yet, the dark residue of sin would be washed whiter than snow. David sees it in the not yet. Even better, we find it now in the it is finished. Think about it. It is finished to telestai Jesus Christ on the cross, meaning that sin is defeated, shame is defeated, Satan himself is defeated. This is good news. It is finished. So for some of you, stop performing. Stop striving to present the perfect image so that others will like you and admire you, but nobody will really know you. Surrender your poverty at his feet. Come as you are under the banner of it is finished. Ask him to purge your sin with his blood, the blood of the spotless lamb who was slain on your behalf. Trusting that his blood is infinitely greater than the sum of all your sins, all your stains, and all your shame. 
As Thomas Merton says it, he says, quit keeping score altogether and surrender yourself with all your sinfulness to God who sees neither the score nor the scorekeeper, but only his child redeemed by Christ. And then finally, the third part of this appeal is number three, ask for renewal. Ask for renewal. David's cry for renewal we see in verse 10 where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, the source had been uprooted, but David knows that it doesn't end here. He realized that, that this source that was once diseased has to be replaced. It has to be renewed. When I was working down in Miami, Florida, I, I had a buddy I, I worked with who was diagnosed with melanoma, skin cancer on his forehead. And luckily they caught it early on and right away the doctors had to go in and, and surgically remove it. They, they did the excision, I believe it was called. And I remember after that, it really kind of changed his life. There, there was a lot of you know, preventative measures he had to take just to protect himself from being exposed again. I mean, this dude wouldn't go outside without, without a hat on. He was always putting sunscreen on. And there were just flat out certain places where he couldn't go. Unfortunately, South Beach was off limits. And that's no fun when you live in Miami. But uh, I realized that the, the preventative care, that wasn't enough because they had to take more proactive measures. The chemotherapy for my buddy was absolutely miserable. But you see, they had to go in and kill any residue of any remaining cancerous cells. Why? Well, in order to keep the disease from taking root again, the area that had been damaged and diseased had to be renewed. Now think about this. Even though Jesus's blood has removed the source of your sin, we live in a fallen world. Around every corner is a potential opportunity for you to be exposed again and to invite the disease right back in. Okay, so protection and preventative care is good, but we must become proactive in renewing the source that was once diseased and damaged. We see the proactive prayer of David in verse 10 where he says, create in me a clean heart. Understand, this is the exact same word used in Genesis 1-1 where God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So David's cry here for a new heart. He's not asking recreate or duplicate. No, he's saying create from nothing a brand new heart within me as only you can do. You see, just as we need God's cleansing power to cover sin, we need his renewing power to conquer sin. For some of you, if you're gut level honest with yourself, looking at yourself in the mirror, not out the window at others, looking at yourself in the mirror, you would say right now, well, I, I feel anything but clean, anything but new. You would say, well, you know, right now, my life seems to be defeated by sin and temptation. I'm immobilized by shame and self-hatred. I'm crippled by fear and insecurity. I'm haunted by those vivid memories of my past failures. The disease has taken root again, and rather than confessing it, you choose to conceal it. So like David, our request must be for the renewal of the source 
Notice David does not cry, help my eyes with temptation or help my mind with lustful thoughts or correct my sinful behavior. David never even mentions sexual sin in this psalm, even though that's what started it all. No, he goes to the very heart of the matter, which is the heart. He goes to the source. He says, creating me a clean heart, understanding that once God has a hold of your heart, He'll get a hold of your will and your desires. He'll get a hold of your mind and your thoughts and your emotions. He'll get a hold of your eyes and of your hands. You see, David knows that he's been forgiven, that he's been cleansed, but David is passionately committed to being changed by God. David is not okay with the old liar, the old cheater, the old deceiver, the old manipulator. You see, all of us, we would agree, we have a desire to be forgiven, a desire to be changed. But my question to you this morning as we close is this. Are you passionately committed to being changed by God? If so, if so, then come out of hiding. Stop living a lie. Ask God for a new start. He is a God of boundless grace. Cry out like David that he would give you a new heart, a brand new heart created from nothing. Become a child, poor in spirit, pure in heart, one who sees God for who he really is. And if you'll begin to see your life through the lens of his blood, then and only then will you see yourself as you really are. A child of God, loved accepted and forgiven, clean, new, and pure, you are whiter than snow.